This is a Woodside Church podcast. Thank you very much for the welcome. That's uh, (laughs) much appreciated. I love the word about the feast. Um, and uh, we're talking about, can we put our word up, a one-liner up, please? It's uh, Colossians 3.16, and it's about being filled. And it, uh, it parallels, there's almost identical verse in Ephesians, which says, be filled with the Spirit, and, 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 and. And then we get this one, which is, be filled with the Word. So... Uh, sorry, what should we call it? Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, uh, in, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Could we all try saying it together? One, two, three. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's a beautiful verse. Uh, sounds lovely. Um, and then you sort of think, well, you know, what right have I to stand in front of you and talk about being richly filled with the word and, and so on? You know, it's, it's, it sounds like a tall order. Um, and I thought it'd be good to look at one or two examples of people who of someone who was undoubtedly filled, filled with the word, the word dwelling in him richly. So my first story, well, one point as well about that is it's different being filled with the word richly when I'm an old person, when I'm a young person, when I'm starting out on my walk with, with God, when I've been through a few things. So we've got two children. A week ago, they went off to the New Day camp, which lots of our young people go to. And there's a sort of ceremony at the end of it. That's the waiting in the car park for the bus to arrive. And it's, it's ever so exciting. And you, you, finally the bus comes around the corner and you see some faces looking totally exhausted and other people full of beans. And they come out of the bus. And uh, then the lorry comes in and we all unload the cooking equipment and the rucksacks and everything else. And just imagine one of the kids, after a bit they find that one of the kids wasn't on the bus. Um, and, you know, Hannah's pulling her hair out. The parents already have pulled the hair out. Um, and, and they ring the mobile, no reply. Um, there's nothing to be done. So the parents get in the car with their Hannah as well, and they, they drive off to Norwich to look for the missing child. They get to the campsite. You know, the big blue tent has all been taken down. And our security, no, no sign of him. Um, and, you know, in desperation, there's, there's one little hut... And inside, there's the speakers. There's people like Steph Liston and Joel Virgo and Simon Brading and Toby Colioso. They're all sitting there having a cup of tea, just relaxing. It was a good time. And in the middle of them, there's this kid. And he's asking them all kinds of questions. You know, what, what did you mean when you're talking about this? And, and you know, you know just, just, just full of hunger, wanting to know more, wanting to know more about the stuff that they've been sharing all the way through the week. Well... Be reassured, we would never let one of your children go missing. Um, it didn't happen, 
But it did happen in the life of Jesus. And when he was 12, he went off to the festival in Jerusalem. And on the way back, they realized he was missing. And they had to go back to Jerusalem. And they go searching everywhere. And eventually, they find him in the temple, surrounded by the teachers of the law. And they say, uh, what are you doing here? And he says, didn't you know? I had to be here. I had to be here. It's my dad's house. You know, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at home. I don't know where you were going, but I'm at home. Um, yeah, so that's a story. Jesus, what, what do we learn from that? Jesus was already discovering who he was. So we believe that Jesus wasn't just a man. We believe that God came to earth in the form of a man. God became man. That the uh, part of God, the son of God, became Jesus of Nazareth. And, but when he was a baby, he didn't know that. He just gurgled along with the rest of us. At some point between age zero and age 12, he's starting to find out who he is. And I, I would suggest that one of the ways he did that was as he was hearing the scriptures read out every Saturday in the synagogue, as he was probably memorizing chunks of it, he was starting to find himself in it. Now, that's special for Jesus, but it's true too about us as well. If I look in here, I start to find out who I am. Actually, without Christ, I'm a rather worse person than I probably thought I was. Because we have all, mankind is in a state of rebellion against God. God has told us to love him with all our hearts and soul and mind and strength. And yet, we haven't. We've enthroned ourselves in our hearts. We are, we're in a bad way with the maker of the universe. That's what I'm like without Christ. As I look in here, I find out what I can be if I'm with Christ. I can become a child of God. I can, I can consider God's house daddy's house too. I can get all the rights that Jesus had um, if I will accept him into my life. I become one of his and I become a child of God. So Jesus was finding himself in the scriptures and that's where we find who we are, what we're for, and where we're going to. He'd already been to the festival. He'd already done the religious bit. He'd been to New Day. He'd sat through the meetings. He, was, he could have gone home. You know, he, he'd done the stuff, but he wanted more. You know, this was no longer the, the ritual thing, the regular thing, what my parents dragged me to, what everyone else is going to. This was him. This is his own heart and his own hunger. And, um, you know, young people, you've done your bit. Now what are you going to do? What are you going to do yourselves with the word? You know, at some point, it's going to be down to you. The rest of us, in about, well, if you're lucky, in about 20 minutes, this is going to be over. And then we can just go on our way and just think about our sandwiches. You know, are we going to do anything more? Do we have a personal hunger? Up to this point, Jesus had been led by his parents. Now he's stepping out on his own. This has got nothing to do with his parents. His parents are cross. But actually, he's now, you know, he, he's, he's developing his own walk with God, his own personal hunger for the word. Where is that for us? He could have been, it was probably less entertaining in one way than being with the lads going back home. You know, they're probably kicking a ball about having a whale of a time with their families and whatever. It's less entertaining, but he's not going to find out who he is, what his purpose in life is, and where he's going just by being entertained. You know, 
He needs, he needs the word to do that. He's hungry for the word. Um, just imagine Jesus sitting among all these grisly old guys. Unfortunately, it wasn't Joel Virgo and it wasn't Toby Collioso. It was people an awful lot less cool. Um, and, you know, to some, when we read the Bible, we find they, they really weren't the best guys, but they were the best that was on offer. So Jesus went to them. So he's sitting with old, strange people because he's hungry for God. And sometimes you're going to do some awkward or strange things. Sometimes it can be just you and everyone else is doing something else and it's not the done thing, but because you're hungry for God, because you're hungry for the word, you do it anyway. Very relevant, I trust, for young folks. Relevant, I trust, for the rest of us. That's the first story. First forward 30, fast forward 33 years. No, my math is dreadful. 21 years. And it's the last days of Jesus on earth. And he's already died. He's come alive again. His disciples are confused. And two of them are walking home, walking somewhere. Walking somewhere that isn't Jerusalem, isn't where the believers are. They're going there. We don't know why. Maybe a husband and wife. Anyway, they're, they're off. But Jesus meets them along the way, and they don't recognize him. And Jesus sort of asks them what they're doing, what, what, they're, what they've been talking about. They say, don't you know? It's what everyone's been talking about. You know, um, Jesus was a powerful prophet, and he was going to save Israel, and he was going to be the thing, and then our people have killed him, and, and uh, now the ladies say that they found the tomb empty, and we don't know and they're dreadfully confused. And Jesus says, if I can dig it out, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then, and then enter his glory? And there's a wonderful irony in the way that the two disciples have said, um, you know, they killed him and we thought he was going to save Israel. No, actually, by dying, he was going to save Israel, and not just Israel, but all of mankind. He was going to offer himself as a payment for the debt that we had accrued for not loving God with all our heart and not loving our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus was paying the debt, receiving the punishment, opening the door for all mankind, but they couldn't see that. So, what did the word do? Jesus, what's a, Sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them. This is Jesus. This is the word incarnate. He could have just talked. But actually, he explains to them from the book everything about him. And the old bit of the book, the book that we sort of say, oh, that's the stuff that doesn't talk about Jesus. The New Testament talk. Oh, no, actually, the whole lot talks about Jesus. And he, he explains it, and the confusion goes. So the word gave Jesus clarity about his mission. And it brought an end to the disciples' confusion. Um, secondly, there'd been a lot of suffering and disappointment. But for Jesus, he saw his way through that because of what he understood from the Scriptures. And that doesn't mean that I understand always precisely why I didn't get the job or why so-and-so got ill or um, why I'm finding my marriage so hard or why things are so miserable at school or whatever. It doesn't always explain the precise details, but it gives me a framework to cope. So I've been enjoying reading the book of Job, and poor old Job never finds out what was really going on. But he does get satisfied. He, he, gets, 
he gets enough from the word to be able to carry on. And uh, this is precisely what happens to the disciples here. On top of that, Jesus then explains to them um, the whole picture. So they get to where they're going. Um, they have, sit down for a meal. They recognize Jesus. Jesus vanishes. Suddenly now, whatever they were going to this town, Emmaus, for, it didn't matter anymore. Maybe they'd been giving up. Maybe they had a really important job. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But now they're running back to Jerusalem in the dark. Who cares about the bandits? Who cares that it's 10 miles or 15 miles or however long it was? They're going back. They get back to, to Jerusalem, meet the disciples, and Jesus appears again. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what's written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. This is what's written, the Messiah, that Christ, the whole, the whole lot. He's everywhere. He's everywhere in God's history. This is what's written, the Messiah. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in, in his name to all nations. So the Messiah would suffer and rise again from the dead. He suffered for us to open the door to heaven. He rose again because there's no point following someone who's dead. We're the only people following a live prophet, and it's good news. And we've got a living relationship with him. We're brothers with Jesus. We're children of the Lord. That's the message, and that message needs to go out to all the world. And actually, a proper history of the world would follow that story and it's a wonderful story it starts you see in the book of acts here and it goes on and it's touched on our country at some point some people made the journey over in the mud and the mess and told this nation about jesus people in our town john bunyan and his years in the prison and john newton down the road writing amazing grace and all these people the story has gone on it's gone out to the ends of the earth and there, there are still nations there are people from this church who've gone out We've got Dan Martin in a city of maybe 20 million people, the vast, vast, vast majority of whom don't know the Lord Jesus. He's trying to tell them. We, these two disciples found their place in that story. It's our job to find our place in that story as well, whether it's, it's a fighting to make Jesus famous in the, in the, uh, the mothers and toddlers groups and the youth clubs and the senior citizens work of this church, in our jobs, in our families, or whether it's to join Dan Martin um, either for a short visit or a long-term one, or to go out to another nation that, that hasn't yet grasped the message. Um, it, Jesus gives them the big picture. They find their place and their purpose in that big picture. And the word burned in them as he spoke it. Have you ever, heard, have you ever had that feeling? You know, sitting under a sermon and it's burning. And... Uh, uh, it's wonderful when you see it, and you know, there's famous John Wesley said it. You know, I burned and people watched. That was that. That, that was it. That was his sermon preparation, not like me. Um, <laughs> I burned and people watched. But is it too much to hope actually that, that the me the message might be burning in someone today, provoking them maybe to give their life to Jesus for the first time, or to to give their life to Jesus in a new way? It's lovely in the worship that word as well about surrender and whatever that challenge. You know, can the word burn in us today? You know, it was burning. That's, that, that, that's why we want more of it. It's, it's live. It does a work. It cuts to the heart. That was Jesus, full of the word. That's the impact it has on us. And 
let's get back to the verse in question, and I'll just try and round it up. Um, it's not supposed to be, I don't think, a very complicated verse. He's not telling them to do something really weird, like sing songs to teach people. Um, this church was new. He'd never been to them before. They were probably mainly Greeks. They probably had very little idea what a church was about. And he's saying, well, lots of word. You can sing songs and give thanks. Uh, that, that's what it's about. They may well have thought it was a philosophy club. Greeks love wisdom, and the letter to the Colossians is full of the issue that, yeah, wisdom's great. And um, we have, there's actually a sort of new love of wisdom happening in, in our society now. These thought leaders, your Eugene Petersons and your Elon Musks and all, and these fellows, and you open those lots of really good stuff. And I dare say, you read Aristotle and Plato, you'll find lots of really good stuff. But what you won't find is the Messiah had to die, rose again, and the good news of that will be preached to all nations. You won't find that among the thought leaders of today or on the little inspirational bits you find on LinkedIn or whatever it is you happen to read. That's what we need to focus on. Um, and we need that word living richly among us. Rich means loads of it and good quality, doesn't it? We need lots of word living among us. And it's not enough for the preachers to do it. It's as we teach and admonish. Teaching being, I give something new, truth. Admonish being, I correct something that's a bit off. And the trouble is, you see, your, your, folk, your folks up at the pulpit are never going to know most of what's going on in our lives. The decisions being made, the boyfriends being chosen, the, the jobs that may be too many hours that mean, but basically, you know, church and personal worship are going to go by the by. Um, all of that stuff that's going on, the good decisions, the bad decisions, you know, the church can be the antibodies that zip in and give that word of encouragement, that word of inspiration, that word of correction, dare I say it, but with all wisdom. You know, not a proof text to tick you off, but something a bit richer than that. Ask yourself, is there someone that I need to be giving a bit of that inspiration, correction, encouragement to this time. There's someone I need to be speaking the word to. I can't just leave it to the pulpit. A brilliant way to fill the word, fill life with the word, is songs. You know, so much of our theology we get from our songs. Praise God, the songs are really good now. When I was younger as a Christian, they were not as good. Um, so they are really helpful. And Colossians, indeed, probably includes at least one song where it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It's probably a quoted hymn. Um, it's a wonderful way of filling our lives. You can do it while walking the dog, if you have a dog. You can do it in the car, if you have a car. You can do it informally and out of tune, which is my favorite way. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can do it around the keyboard on a Sunday evening. You can do it in home groups. You can do it in church. You can do it in polished polish performances, special events. You can do singing as warfare, feeling down, sing out a song, don't feel quite so down. Uh, you can use it to get your prophetic or your gift of tongues going. You can fill your life with the word through songs and through music. And they encourage the right attitude. They encourage gratitude, which is where the verse leaves off. Singing to God with grace or with gratitude is probably better in your heart. So I want to switch into a 
very brief bit of practical so that we can actually do this and then round off with a prayer at the end and then we're done. So if those who are able to stand, do stand please. If you can't stand, that's, that's fine. And um, close your eyes and just think of things that you thought were good, worth thanking God for in this service, be it in the word or in the, in the, the worship or the prophecies, um, or other things that have been good in this week that you would like to thank God for and just speak out thanks. If that's too hard for you, you can speak it out silently in your heart. If you're not actually at that place that you can pray, well, just think of the good things that, that, that have happened this week that you're grateful for. So let's, let's give thanks to God now all together. Those who can speak out and pray, do so all together at the same time, not listening to your neighbor. Go. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for the sense of your spirit. Thank you for your enabling, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Thank you. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Lord, I just want to give you thanks. Thank you, Spirit gives life, Father God. I thank you for that challenge of sacrifice, Father God, that I need to be really clear. Father God, please help me to be really clear and really know what I should do in Jesus' name. Brilliant. Now, if we can sit down again and in pairs or threes, just think, was there something good in the songs today that you just would like to say, yeah, that, I really like the bit when we sang that. Or during this week, there's maybe you heard a song um, and yeah, that little bit of this song really spoke to me. I'll just give you one or two minutes and if you can sort of share, is there anything between yourself? If you don't have anything, that's fine. But if you're two or three, surely one of you probably will have something. You can say to the other and say, yeah, you know, that, that bit of the song actually really inspired me. It was really good. So go for it in pairs or threes. And then... Hey, girls. Was there anything good in songs today that you thought was, was, uh, was encouraging? Good, isn't it? I think they do when we sing out the stuff. I love that bit when it says, All the earth will shout your praise. It just gives you a different picture, doesn't it? You know. Brilliant. I have to go back. Okay. You can carry on over coffee. <laughs> and it's, it's what we're supposed to do, isn't it? It's what we're supposed to do. So, to genuinely finish, if we could please stand up again, if we're able to. Close our eyes. God wants to fill our lives with his word and with his spirit. Just as we, we, Lord, we come into your presence, and just as we do come into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, what am I going to do to make the message live in me a bit more richly? We offer that question to you, Lord God. What am I going to do with a message of Christ that's, that's 
an initiative from you in my life. For some of us present, it may be the, uh, we may not actually have yet given our life to Christ. This is a good time to do that. It's a good time just in your heart to say, Jesus, I'm yours. Is there someone that I need to speak to, to encourage, correct, envision with the word of God in all wisdom? There's someone that it's my job to be sharing that word with regularly, might be the children, um, or a special meeting. Is there someone I need to be speaking that word to? What is my part in seeing the message go to all nations, here and elsewhere? Do I know my part yet? How am I going to find it? Thank you, Lord, that you meet with us. Thank you. That's so special, so precious, Lord. We ask you that this word would burn in us, Lord Jesus. This word of Christ, the message of Christ, would burn in us for all the world to see. We offer up the rest of this day to you, Lord. Thank you. You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.